As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Hey, you guys. Hi, guys. Episode 219. Whoa. OMG. It's my favorite number. It is. No. What a very random number if it was. <laughs> right? Like, what's your favorite number? But how do people have favorite numbers? Like, what is the point of this? I have a favorite number. It's three. <laughs> you have always loved the number three. See? I've teetered back and forth between seven and four, and I don't know why. Mm, yeah. I don't know why I like three. I just always have. Hmm. Three's a good number. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got some trigger warnings today. Sure do. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, rape, murder, strangulation, murder and rape of a child, and torture. Heavy. It's very heavy. And this is a case that made history. Yeah. But Tori and I were just talking about this. We didn't know anything about it. Yeah, that's insane to me. Like, we'll get into it. But if it's this big of a damn deal, then why don't more people know about it? It's crazy. I know. Okay. So also, I just wanted to go ahead and say thank you to Victoria Arms Mm -hmm. for requesting it. Yes. And thanks to Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch (laughs) for writing it up. Yeah. All right. Give us a little episode description. From September 1987 to December 1987, four women aged 15 to 44 were attacked, raped, and strangled at the hands of a sadistic killer. There were no witnesses to any of the homicides, and investigators had struggled until a hair found at one scene was tested using early DNA testing methods. The Southside Strangler investigation was a landmark case involving DNA testing evidence. Eventually, one man was exonerated for crimes he did not commit, while Timothy Wilson Spencer was convicted of these horrific crimes and eventually sentenced to death. This guy is the first guy, apparently, to have been convicted based on DNA evidence. And I ain't never heard his damn name. No, it's like a trailblazing case. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't care about no, his name, but, but it's just like, no, 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 why don't no. we, we know? You would, you would think you would have heard about the case. Yeah. Being that it's the first time this has happened. Mm-hmm. But. Well, we're talking about it now. We are. We're talking about it now. Um, and we're going to go back um, 
kind of to the beginning yeah. of Richmond, Virginia. Okay. And um, if you're a millennial, the only way we can go back to the beginning is with a little Hillary Duff. Mm-hmm. Okay, you guys, before we get into today's case, we want to let you know that we've got even more content on the Patreon. So if you get a membership with our Patreon, you get tons, I would say, buttloads of bonus content. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? Oh, man. And I'm talking like a big old buttload. A big buttload. So tomorrow, our murder mixtape drops, and we're covering the murder of Ashley Harris. This is an absolutely tragic case. She was killed for literally what money was in the American Eagle safe at the time, which granted was a lot because it was Thanksgiving, like Black Friday, but still grow up. Yeah, exactly. It is, it's just got off. And you guys, and- there is there is a part of the interrogation that you're just not going to believe what uh, this woman uh- has to say for herself. I was going to say that. So then Friday, we drop our second episode of Worst Roommate Ever, and it's called Be Careful of the Quiet Ones. This guy, what an absolute asshole. And he was stupid. And we get to see his dumb search history and how it busted his ass. Totally busted. Um, and of course, on Sunday, we drop our weekly catch-up episode, which we call a T to the fourth power Y. When you shorten that, looks like titty because we're trash. And we just gab about life, what's going on in our personal lives, um, what we're watching. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. So if you want all of that content and more, because you get access to all of the previous episodes that we have released. Yep. Everything's ad-free too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Go to patreon.com slash killerqueenspod. Yep. And if you want to be sure you never miss an episode, join our email list. Visit killerqueens.link slash email to join the list and be the first to know about fun happenings, what cases we're covering that week. We always do some kind of fun thing like a 90s flashback or something or something personal, so check it out. All right, now on to the case. Richmond is located northwest of Norfolk, Virginia. It serves as the capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia with a population of around 225,000 people as of 2020. Historically, Richmond played a role throughout the U.S. fight for independence and then during the Civil War as well. In 1775, Patrick Henry delivered his famous, give me the liberty, nope, it's not the liberty, Give me that liberty, that their liberty. <laughs> Which liberty? This liberty? No, that liberty. The other oh, liberty right over there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Idiot. <laughs> give me liberty or give me death speech in St. John's Church, which was a huge factor in Virginia participating in the First Continental Congress and eventually the Revolutionary War. Edgar Allan Poe was born in Richmond, and one of the oldest buildings in Richmond is actually the Poe Museum. In more recent years, Richmond has become a destination for chefs around the country to open restaurants. The low rents and diverse population make it alluring for restaurants to open different culinary concepts that continue to please residents and visitors alike. What an interesting fact. I know. Like, you want to open a restaurant? Go to Richmond. Right? I mean... I would have thought it would be like LA or New York. That's what I was thinking. I mean, because like here, I mean, we have a ton of restaurants, but a lot of them don't last very long. No, they do not. Restaurant business is tough. It is tough. Or even like Chicago. I've heard Chicago is a really big place for, Hmm. you know, like kind of high-end and interesting cuisine. Right. Yeah. I want just like bare minimum. If you're going to give me ice cream, I want vanilla. Don't fuck with it. (laughs) And if you could, go ahead and deep fry it. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) In the 80s, Richmond was similar to many mid-sized cities at the time. It was widely regarded as an extremely safe place to live. One resident at the time described it as a typical sleepy southern town. 
When you did hear of crimes, it was typically some type of gang activity that took place in a part of town that, quote, you didn't think anybody but the bad guys went to. The south side of Richmond was described as a safe haven. The homes were old and large, usually made out of brick, and it was an area more affluent residents called home. In September of 1987, though, a call came in to Detective Ray Williams about a woman that had been discovered strangled to death. Detective Williams passed away in February of 2019, and at the time of his death, his brother said of him being an officer, quote, that's all he ever wanted to do. And I'll tell you, it, it became not what he did, but who he was, because he was a homicide detective 24-7. It really was his life's calling. He wanted to help people. Out of high school, Williams joined the fire department because he was too young to join the police force. But after a few short years, he was able to transfer to the police force. Over the course of his career, he worked several major cases in the Richmond area, but perhaps none as big as the South Side Strangler. And again, how did we never hear about this? I know. And also, like, it's not cool, but you know what I mean? Like, South Side Strangler, as far as, like, serial killers' na- like names go, yeah, vaguely cool. Like, can't we be, like, um, Sloppy Seaman Strangler? Or, <laughs> I don't know, you know, like... Right. You, if you leave your semen behind, that's sloppy. Right. Big dumb dodo strangler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something. I mean, come on. Yeah. I don't know why they get these like kind of cool monikers. Like romanticized then, names. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. Let us it. know what you would name him at the, uh, we'll do an, I'll try to remember to do an Instagram story after this drops. What would you name him? Listen to the whole case yeah. first. Well, those are two yeah. great ideas though. <laughs> We've got a few on the on the on the list, yeah. but we would like to, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna get into a little bit of information about the victims. On Saturday, September 19th, 1987, a mechanic named Arnold Ellis woke up and saw that a vehicle that had been parked on the road in front of his home when he got home at 1 a.m. the previous night was still there. In the daylight, he could see that the car was running, but there wasn't anyone around. He assumed it had been abandoned and he called the police. A patrolman was dispatched and upon running the plates, discovered that the car belonged to Debbie Dudley Davis, a 35-year-old account executive who lived about a block away on the ground floor of a big brick apartment building. The officer drove to the apartment building and began to knock on the door, but there was no response. One of Debbie's neighbors came out to check and see what the commotion was about, and the elderly woman told the officer she had a spare key for Debbie's apartment and she gave it to him. So the officer entered the apartment and he was absolutely horrified by what he found. Debbie Davis's body was found lying face down across her bed, her head hanging slightly over the side. She was topless. She was wearing only a pair of cutoff jean shorts. Her right arm was tied tightly behind her back with thick boot laces. Her left arm was tied beneath her. The killer had tightly twisted a thick black wool sock around her neck using a metal vacuum cleaner tube attachment like a tourniquet. Jeez. Resourceful in the worst way. I know. And the whites of her eyes, so her eyes were open, but the whites of them were dotted red from ruptured blood vessels. And this is a telltale sign of prolonged strangulation. Oh, God, it's so sad. Debbie Davis was described by people who knew her as someone who had a great infectious laugh and she was brutally honest. If she did not like the dress you were wearing, (laughs) she would not hesitate to tell you. There you go. She's like, you can do better. Right. (laughs) I equal parts appreciate that because if somebody's going to do that and they give you a compliment, you know they mean it. But at the same time, I'm like, <laughs> it hurts my feelings. It hurts me. 
So she loved pop culture. She loved listening to Bruce Springsteen albums. And the night before, she and a friend had gone to a neighboring city to see SNL alum Dana Carvey perform. Hmm. I wonder if he did the church lady. <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. That friend dropped her off and watched her walk into her apartment before driving off. So initially, because of the intimate nature of strangulation, Williams and his partner, Detective Glenn Williams, Mm -hmm. they're not related, but everybody in the office called them the Williams boys. Sure. Suspected that the perpetrator had to be someone that knew Debbie. So maybe a boyfriend, a close friend. But after talking to friends who knew Debbie, they ruled out everyone they came across. So when Detective Williams arrived on the scene, they combed over everything and they found a rocking chair that had been moved from a neighbor's porch and placed under a window of Debbie's apartment. The screen from that window had been cut and the person pulled himself through it. They said that the man broke in and waited and he was preparing the scene. So he created the tourniquet used to strangle Debbie from the things he found at the scene. Mm. At the crime scene, investigators found a large deposit of seminal fluid. Sloppy semen strangler. Right? Big, dumb, stupid dodo strangler. I mean, don't, don't leave your semen. I mean, I'm glad, to, I'm glad he did. Well, I mean, it's like on Superbad when he's like, when I first joined the police force, I thought semen would be on everything. Semen everywhere. Everywhere. It's not the case. And in this, well, in this case it is. But you know, at this time, they probably saw that and they were like, the fuck am I going to do with all this semen? Clean it up. Right? I mean, luckily they obviously did something with it, but DNA wasn't what it is today. Well, absolutely. I mean, now it's like ugh, we hit the jackpot with all this freaking semen. Hey, this is gross. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, for sure. If you're a, if you're a homicide investigator, you're going to want semen. <laughs> you just are. I I know. Ideally, you're going to find some semen. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um the janky jizz strangler. Oh. I don't know. I don't. I'm trying here. <laughs> okay. So they said that he raped and strangled Debbie until she passed out, then released the tourniquet so she would regain consciousness over and over again. This is horrific. 
Why? Horrific. Why? Why? Because Why? He, you know he's he's very much like Richard Ramirez in this situation. I was gonna say uh-huh, it because he wants to see the fear in her eyes. That's what he gets off on. Oh, absolutely. That's what he gets off on. Ugh. Yeah, it's just so cruel. I mean, it is killing in a, any way, shape, or form. Cruel, but to bring somebody to the brink of death and then, and then revive yeah. them. Yes. Just to do it over again. That is just to do it over again. Absolute torture. Mm-hmm. It's horrific. Oh, it's just so sad. So when forensic forensics reports came back, Detective Williams's were both shocked. <laughs> I think it's Detectives Williams. Detective Williams's. It's like um, Detectives Williams's. Yeah. It's like the uh, doctors. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I worked for a doctor and his wife was also a doctor. So it's like doctors and then their last name. It's What's just etiquette. What's their first and last names? Where where do they live? What's I their, got address? their address? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. so the Williamses mm-hmm. shocked. So there's no hair, no fibers, nothing, just the all the jizz. Mm-hmm. And at that time, like the hair is what you needed. Like that's absolutely that's what they could do something with. That way, they yeah. could physically view it and be like, "This hair looks like that hair over there. Looks like the hair on your head, sir." Looks like the hair on your chinny chin chin. <laughs> like it looks sort of like your hair. Book them. It's 100% conclusive. Exactly. Yeah. So they couldn't do anything with the splooge, but they had it. Mm-hmm. So they had no witnesses. No one heard anything. They were left completely empty handed. But, you know, it was one of those things where it was like more questions than answers. So on October 2nd, 1987, about two weeks after Debbie's murder, Detective Williams gets a call Which to go one? back to the South Side. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell you. Okay. One of the Williamses. Okay. I need to know, but. I, well, get over yourself. I can't tell you who, <laughs> which one it was. There's too many Williams. I don't know. Pick one. Okay. One of the Williams. So one of them. Got it. Gets a call to go back to the Southside area of Richmond. And around 1.45 a.m., Marcel Slag parked his car. He goes into his home that he shared with his wife, Dr. Susan Hellams. Guys, no one should have to. No. Anyway, okay, okay. So Susan was a neurosurgery resident at Virginia Commonwealth University Medical College of Virginia. That is a mouthful. As he entered, Marcel thought he heard Susan moving around upstairs and he quietly crept through the house. He didn't want to wake her up. So, you know, he's taking a shower, but he's like, oh, she's, I don't want to stir her. So. He gets his shower, then he goes upstairs quietly or goes to their bedroom quietly, but something was off, like ugh, just horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So with the light shining through the window from the streetlights outside, he saw Susan laying partially nude in the entrance to their closet. What do you like, what do you think in that moment? Like, I have no idea. Like, cause you're certainly, you're not like she's been killed. Like he's right. probably like, did she fucking like pass out or did she have like, you know, An has she, yeah, has she had some kind of a medical emergency or did she just somehow fall asleep there? Like, I just cannot even imagine. Right. So Susan had a red leather belt tied around her neck and a black belt was also tied to the red leather belt. And that was what was used to strangle her. Her hands had been bound behind her back with an extension cord and a necktie. Her skirt had been pulled up above her waist and she was still wearing her bright red socks and one red shoe. Susan's nose and mouth were covered in fresh blood and her body was still warm to the touch. She had been raped and strangled to death like Debbie Davis, but she also sustained injuries from being savagely beaten. Mm -hmm. The medical examiner said that the way the blood vessels burst in her eyes, that the strangulation had to have been prolonged and taken up to 20 minutes or more. Mm -hmm. She was suffocated. She was revived. She was suffocated again over and over again. Susan and Marcel's home was 
about a mile from Debbie's apartment. And when detectives arrived, they immediately noticed the similarities between Susan and Debbie's murders. So Detective Williams... Which one? Take a guess. No idea. No! <laughs> Said that when Marcel arrived home, the no- this is so crazy, guys. The noise that he heard upstairs that he thought was Susan had to have been the killer because she was already exactly treated. and she and she's still warm so that's that's terrifying because mm-hmm. this is somebody that yeah brutally was murdered just there yes yeah. and if he had just like walked into the bedroom you know walked upstairs like it's just so he was in the house with him like oh it's just so scary so the killer to gain entry to the house he climbed the top of the fence, he cut a screen on the second story window and he pulled himself up. They traced a jar that they found. So they had a um, an open Vaseline jar that had been used by the killer and they traced that jar That's back to a drugstore that was near the Cloverleaf Mall. I hate him. I know, me too. I hate everything about him. I know. Cloverleaf Mall had a bookstore inside and this is crazy. Um, Susan had been in the store to purchase some books and wrote a check for them and the check was endorsed by the part-time employee, Debbie Davis. And when they made that connection between the victims, Detective Williams, take a guess, said it gave him cold chills and quote, in all my experience, I didn't think anything would surprise me in a homicide investigation, but this thing knocked me off my feet. Wow. So again, the forensics report didn't show any hair, fibers, or fingerprints, but there were seminal secretions like at the other crime scene. So mm-hmm. just a shitload of semen. Yep. The shitload of semen strangler. In <laughs> case. Get it together. I know. With the connections made between the two victims, word spread that the police were looking for a serial rapist and killer, and the community exploded with fear. So, and this happens... This has happened over the years often, right? Mm-hmm. Hardware stores, they're selling out of locks and deadbolts. You normally could walk down the streets and they were normally dark, but now they're brightly lit because everybody had their front porch light on. It's probably not a bad idea to have well-lit areas, but... No, no, no. I don't think so either. The only problem that I ever had with leaving like a porch light or a back door light on is if you got to go outside to let your damn dog out. And it's summertime. There'll be tons of bugs. And spiders. Yuck. Yeah. But it's for safety's sake. I completely concur. So, yes, absolutely. Women were told to nail their windows shut if they felt unsafe, even if they were locked. And the whole town was just absolutely scared to death. Mm. And in the past, we've seen and talked about cases where victims who have been murdered in similar ways haven't been connected until way after their death or the perpetrators were arrested and confessed, but this is not the case here. So as soon as he walked into the crime scene that night, Detective Williams said, the same son of a bitch who killed Debbie Davis is responsible for this. We've also seen, though, a case where police did connect it and it ended up being two different perpetrators. (sighs) I'm trying to give credit where Uh credit's due and what you're doing is... Sorry. You're saying, well, but... I mean, it's not always the case that they're not always right. I sound like my husband right now. I know. Well, not if you do this. Yeah. I'm not a cartographer, <laughs> but... Like, get over yourself. Quit being argumentative. Can't do it. Go ahead. So the police reached out to the FBI and tried to get a profile for who they should be looking for, but here you go, Torella. You can say this. 
the FBI ain't always right. Their profile that they were given was off. Mm-hmm. They were told that the killer was most likely a white male in his 30. Or in his 30? In his 30th year. In his 30. Yeah. Driving 30. Yes. I mean, honestly, though, he would be most likely to be a white male around 30 years old. Based on the victimology, based on the crime. I mean, isn't it usually white men around their 30s that are doing some shit like this? Well, dude, I I don't blame them for what they got, but they were off. Oh, yeah. Just call a spade a spade. Yeah. Yeah. They also said that he would be intelligent, but also a loner who wouldn't talk to anyone about his crimes. He'd roam at night. No shit. And they, right? Like, I'm sensing mm-hmm. that these crimes have happened during the nighttime. Right. So he's probably out of his house at night. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Roaming. God, I'm good at my job. Yeah. Yes. So they felt like he wasn't a beginner, though. Like, he had done this before, if not in Richmond, somewhere in the U.S., Late on the evening of November 21st or early morning of the 22nd, 15-year-old Diane Cho had been studying in her bedroom when she decided to just, you know, go to bed, call it quits. Her parents slept in their room and her brother slept in his room next to hers. When Diane was laying down to sleep, the killer struck after gaining access through a cut window screen. He used duct tape on her mouth. He tied her wrist behind her back like he did with Debbie and Susan. He covered her with a sheet around her midsection. And again, there was almost no evidence left. But mm-hmm. what this idiot did, yeah. thank God in heaven, mm-hmm. they found a hair. Mm-hmm. It's the key to unlocking everything. Sure is. The hair. They found it in a rolled up bed sheet. Diane Cho lived less than a mile from the Cloverleaf Mall where Debbie Davis worked part-time and Susan shopped. And Detective Williams, both of them, um, were doing everything they could to try to get some kind of identification from that hair. But as they were focused on that, the killer was already gearing up for another attack. This is very, very quick. Mm -hmm. Like, if these are his first murders, he hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Four in just a couple of months. I know. I mean, this is September to December. Yeah. Like, you know, you hear about cases who are like one a year, one every six or seven months. They end up ramping up usually towards the end, but like four in a couple months. I mean, that's just insane. I know. On or around November 27th, 1987. So they're not really sure the exact date because of when her body was found. Susan Tucker was in her condo in Arlington, Virginia, and this is about a hundred miles away. She was preparing for Thanksgiving weekend. Susan was a young professional who was described as extremely quiet, always polite, and she did not have a bad bone in her body. Susan was home alone because her husband was away on a business trip. And on December 1st, detectives were called about a murder that had taken place. Susan Tucker was lying nude on her bed. Her hands had been tied around her back with a rope going from her hands to her feet and or from her hands and feet to her neck. She had also died from strangulation after being raped. And when they searched the scene, there was a basement window that had a screen cut and someone crawled through. At the top of the basement steps, her purse had been dumped and the contents scattered. Outside, they found a blanket that they that had what they described as a, quote, unusually large amount of semen. Hmm. Shitload semen strangler. Right? Jacking it in San Diego strangler. Yeah. Like, stop. Yeah. They speculated that the killer masturbated as he murdered Susan. Disgusting. I... No. While the location had changed from Richmond to Arlington, investigators were certain that the perpetrator was the same person known in the media as the Southside Strangler. 
So I feel like at this point, it would be a good idea to maybe put something out on the news and be like, hey, do you know of anybody who normally... Hi! Hey! Hey! <laughs> if the moon was made of barbecue spare ribs, would you eat it? Like, <laughs> do you know somebody who lives in Richmond but came home to Arlington for Thanksgiving? Because it's a holiday weekend. Somebody came home here. Right. You know? Yeah. Is there somebody that you know of mm-hmm. that fits this particular situation sure, and that seems suspicious AF. Right. Well, and you don't have to give a lot of details. You don't have to compromise the case. Yeah. That's enough information to, for somebody to be like, I sure do know somebody who yeah, you're happened def- to be in Arlington. Yeah, you're definitely looking at somebody who's in Richmond for the majority of their time and came home and came to Arlington to visit family. Right. For, because it's a holiday weekend. Like it just. Right. Yeah. Hey, you guys, um, it's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw you you for a loop on this one. (laughs) Uh, So we know that a lot of you have been asking like WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. Hey, you guys, have you ever wondered about the backstory, like why we call our dad Miss KB? We have gotten this question so many times, we thought we'd release a little freebie for you. So we recorded a Patreon-exclusive Q&A last year, and be warned, we were outside and there was some wind, mm-hmm. where we answered this question, and we want y'all to have the answer even if you're not a patron. Yeah, so be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash MissKB, M-I-S-S-K-B, and grab the audio. And don't forget, if you want the full Q&A or access to our entire catalog of over 450 patron-only episodes, with all our regular episodes ad-free, you can join the Patreon for less than one and a half Starbucks drinks per month. I mean, that's a good deal. It's a steal. It is. It's a steal. You'll get four episodes per week from us, all ad-free, plus anything fun we do like Q&As or literally anything else. So definitely check it out. And not every tier includes every episode. Yeah, we do have different tiers. So just be sure everything's listed out there when you check it out. But In the meantime, be sure to grab your free audio about Miss KB and how he came to be called that at killerqueens.link slash Miss KB. All right. In Arlington, homicides are pretty rare. Because of that, when Susan Tucker's body was found and the manner in which she died came to light, investigators immediately began to connect it to a murder that had taken place a few years before. Carolyn Hamm was a hardworking young attorney whose star was on the rise. On January 25th, 1984, though, her secretary became worried when she missed several appointments after not showing up for work for a second day in a row. She called Carolyn's best friend, Darla Henry, who then went to Carolyn's home to check on her. She had last seen Carolyn two nights before at a local social club where Carolyn was talking about a trip she was taking the following weekend to Peru, 
And initially, Darla thought Carolyn was just running errands in preparation for her trip. I mean, still, it's one thing to run errands, but it's another thing to be like, well, I just didn't show up to work because I have errands. Like, that's kind of weird. Right. Yeah, absolutely. When Darla got to her house, though, her car was in the driveway. More ominous, though, was the fact that her front door was partially open and snow had become had begun to creep its way into the home. Hmm. That's very scary. Of course it is. After a frantic search, Carolyn's body was found nude face down in her garage. A rope was around her neck that went around a pipe near the ceiling, then to the bumper of a car, and her hands were tied behind her back. A nearby laundry room window had been opened, and it was thought to be how the intruder had gotten to the home. Initially, the police focused their attention on a young neighbor who had helped Darla search the home when she arrived, but his sister said she was best friends with Carolyn and that Carolyn had been complaining about a neighborhood man, David Vasquez. This breaks my heart. Yes. Carolyn complained that Vasquez had been peeping on her while, the sun, while she sunbathed. The neighbor also said that two days before Carolyn's body was found, she had seen Vasquez walking in front of her house. There was an issue, though. Vasquez had moved out of the neighborhood seven months prior with his mother. He had a mental disability and functioned at the level of a 10-year-old. He was 25 miles away when Carolyn was killed and wasn't able to drive himself. When the police went to talk to him, they Mm -hmm. lied and said that they found his fingerprints at the crime scene. That's not fair. Because guess what? Doesn't that count as perjury? I mean, if you go to trial for something like this and they're like, well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, they should be arrested for lying to him Mm -hmm. to get him to... Yeah, I can't. But it's fine. You can't lie to a police officer, but they can lie Mm -hmm. to you all day long. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and we've talked about this before. I mean, my kids are not 10 years old yet, but if I looked at, you know, my three-year-old when he came home and I'm like, hey, Jesse, did you fly in a hot air balloon today at school? He'll be like, yep. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) you... When you put something in their head, they are very likely to agree with you. Well, keep going. Like, yeah. Yeah. So as we've seen countless times, they interrogated him for several hours, feeding him details here and there. And eventually he was able to parrot back a story of what happened, which became his confession. Now, since he had confessed, his lawyer suggested that he enter an Alford plea, which he did. And he was sentenced to 35 years in prison. Now, I think most of us know what an Alford plea is, but... This is a situation where you technically plead technically but guilty evidence. Yeah, that the state has enough evidence to convict you, but you're you're still uh, maintaining your ma- innocence. Yeah, maintaining your innocence, but they've got enough to convict me, so let's just go with There's that. There's nothing I can do about yeah. it, yeah. Back to 1987 and Susan Tucker, investigators couldn't ignore the similarities between the attacks. In addition to the rape and murder of Carolyn Ham, there was a series of rapes and burglaries. Mm. Burglaries. Burglaries that started in 1983 in the Arlington area. While they were looking into the cases, Arlington detectives began to come through different cases from the area at the time. One recalled someone named Timmy. Timmy turned out to be career criminal Timothy Wilson Spencer. I feel like I've heard that name before. Well, now you have. Yeah, I was talking about it at the very beginning. Oh. Shut up. Okay. okay. Um, but also, like, if you're like, these are eerily similar. Like, remember, guys, the guy that you convicted is in prison. How did he yeah. do it again? Like, Right. Well, that's... Okay, exactly. And... <laughs> I don't know. It just... I'm incensed every time I hear somebody say, we've got evidence that you did this. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to show it. They don't have to prove it. 
they can just say it mm-hmm. and you believe it because holy shit, I would be pissing my pants about it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If somebody was like, I have evidence that you were at this house that you've never been to before a day in your life. I would be freaking out about yeah, it. Yeah, let me let me tell you, I am just stupid enough that I would believe some <laughs> shit like that. Like, and that's what, I mean, and you know, we're, we're joking, but we say this all the time on the show. They are waiting for a dumbass like you or me to come in there. And I don't mm-hmm. mean just you, Tori, and me. You are 100% a dumbass. But what I am talking about is you, the listener. I think you're great. I love you. You're a super smart person, but you are a dumbass in interrogation because they will get you. Well, Please get a lawyer. Right. Yes, absolutely. 100%. If that, if we can leave you with anything, get, always get a lawyer. Always get a lawyer. I mean, but I do think based on the fact that anytime I see a police officer, I could be the safest granny driver at the moment. I'm like, (gasps) did I forget that I packed a bomb? Mm -hmm. Like, why? I do it every time. I got so nervous driving home from one of the boys' soccer games and my sister-in-law was in the car. I was like actively sweating. It it was just a police officer Mm -hmm. driving behind me on a regular fucking road. I'm always like, oh my God, he's going to turn the lights on. He's uh-huh. going to turn the lights on. And then I'm like, please turn. Please yeah, turn. exactly. And I was like freaking out. I already wasn't even going the speed limit because I am a granny driver. Yeah. And I slowed down way well, sometimes, more. Well, sometimes you accidentally stop. I have stopped before at, yeah. in a school zone. Just literally just, I, I was like, oh, I'm not moving anymore. Directly after apo- or apologizing, complaining that it was so freaking slow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, like you're stopped fuck? right now. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't even notice I was stopped. Tori did. But like, I slowed way down and my sister-in-law was like, Hey girl, they they don't want you, okay? You're you're doing okay. <laughs> he, he doesn't want you, okay? Like just drive like normal and I was just like I was freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And that times however many mm-hmm. if you're brought in for questioning. Yeah, and that's let's talk about polygraphs. That's another reason why polygraphs should not be I mean are they're not admissible, but like why do we even use them? Because all that does is gauge how much anxiety you have in the moment. Well, 100%. And also what it does is give police probable cause Mm -hmm. to be like, well, she's hiding some shit. Exactly. Yep. Come on. And then they push you. Yep. Well, you failed the polygraph test. Yep. Okay. Who gives a shit? And of course, they can tell you you failed if you didn't. Right. And then you're like, I can't read a polygraph test. You're like, oh my God, am I, am I lying? Like, if you've ever been in a romantic relationship where somebody has gaslit the fuck out of you, you start to believe it. <laughs> it's not that hard to start to question your own reality. Mm-hmm. You begin to think, am I, is, is this person right? Am I making yeah. this up? Like, am I misremembering how this happened? Am I blowing this out of proportion? Yeah. Am I, There's yeah. one case that I listened to where a guy this was a cold case that was like, you know, 35 years in the making or something. By the time they get to this guy and they take his DNA, he's he's had a traumatic brain injury in between the time of the crime and this. And he's lost a lot of his memory. I and, almost felt bad for him for a second, but then I remembered what we're talking about. Um, no, I don't think you know this one. Oh. And then he, um, when they take his DNA, he says, how long until I know if I did it or not? Oh, wow. He did not do it, but he he had lost a lot of his memory and he knew that and he thought, what if I did do something and I just don't oh. remember it? Oh, that's so sad. That's really sad. And the police were uh, like, you know if you did it or not. He's like, I mean, I don't I really think don't. I would do that, but I just, I don't have, um, I really don't have memory of that night anymore. He'd been in like a motorcycle accident or something in between. Yeah. And it ended up coming back, not him, but still it's like, but you see, that's the kind of person 
that's the hell person that they're looking yeah, for. Yeah, easily swayed. If if you do happen to get an investigator who's just looking for the W and not the truth, right? And they're not all that way, but it can happen. I mean, that's why we have wrongful convictions. Right. Anyway. Anyway, we got kind of on a rant there, didn't we? And, and we we're sure gonna we got a bad did. review on that one, didn't we? Oh, 100 <laughs> percent Probably three. <laughs> we love law enforcement. There's absolutely plenty of good ones out there. The reason why we're bringing this up, we don't bring it up in every case, but we've got they convicted the wrong person in this case. Absolutely. He went to he was supposed to be in jail for what twenty five years? Thirty five years. Thirty five years. Something he didn't do. So anyway, Timothy Spencer. We're going to get into him a little bit. Mm -hmm. He was from Arlington, and he grew up with his younger brother Travis. Mm -hmm. Travis is a saint. He's an adorable, precious angel from heaven. Angel. Did you watch The Evil Lives Here? I sure did. Oh my gosh. It was heartbreaking. It was. But you know what? He's doing so well now. He's a stand-up comic. I was so surprised when he said he was a stand-up comic. I was like, go Travis. Like, I know. So it's um, Evil Lives Here. Season seven, I think episode four, it's called My Brother Made History. If you want to watch something about this. Now, again, for the love of God, (laughs) skip the intro music. I love the intro music. Oh my, it scares the shit out of me. I had it going and I went into the kitchen to get something to drink while I was going to come back and watch it. And the music was on and I was like, no, 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 no. And I like couldn't get over and skip it in time. And I was so fucking scared. And it was like two in the afternoon. I love it. It's so eerie. Exactly. It makes me happy. It kind of reminds me of the same feeling I get with American Horror Story, the opening. There's something wrong with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to, not going to argue that. So the family came or grew up in a lower income neighborhood on a dead end cul-de-sac. His parents had both attended college and held steady jobs, but they divorced when the kids were young. Travis said that growing up, they were a quote structured family, meaning that they had meals together at the table and they had rules to follow, that kind of thing. Travis said that Timothy was always looking out for him since he was the older brother. It kind of sounded like in this episode, just Travis talking about it. He did, he never once mentioned his father. Not at all. It seemed like his their father, once they got a divorce, was like no longer in the picture. He didn't say that specifically, but he had no there was stories a lot, that involved his father. Right. There was a lot of talk about his mother. And you could tell they both lived with their mother. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case, I would think that not only was Timothy kind of, it was Tim, Timothy was Travis's older brother, but kind of a father figure yeah, for him. Yeah, kind of the man of the house. Yeah. yeah. Travis said that growing up, he loved and looked up to his brother and that probably blinded him for like to who Tim actually was. He told a story about when he was playing outside with a friend. So they heard a noise that sounded like a thud. Then they looked around, they heard another thud and realized that a rock had landed near them. And when they looked up, they saw one of Tim's friends throwing rocks at them. That is not safe. Do not throw rocks at people. No, and it didn't seem to be just little rocks either, which you shouldn't no. throw any rocks, but these were like very good sized rocks. Yes. So fucking dangerous. So as they watched, he threw another and it hit Travis right under the eye. And he said it cut him down to the white meat. Mm. You know how I say that? What do you mean? I say that all the time. If I like, I mean, I fall down all the time and I'm like, it it got down to the white meat. I just call it the meat. Oh, it depends on how deep it is. But I'm like, Mm. that's, that's down to the red meat or down to the white meat. Oh yeah. 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 Also gross. I know it is gross, but it's, but it's true. It tells you. Yeah. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So the friend laughed as Travis ran inside and his eye was gushing blood. And if you've ever been hit in the face by anything mm-hmm. or gotten cut on your face or your head, that shit bleeds. Oh my gosh. So his mom's cleaning him up and Tim comes in and asks what happened. Travis told him what happened and who it was. And Tim just said, it'll be all right, little bro. And looked at their mom and said he'd be back. And as he left, he said, quote, don't worry, I'll handle that for you. Mm. So the next day, Travis is walking to a bus stop and that same friend came running up to him calling his name. When he got to Travis, he said, quote, I apologize for throwing that rock and hitting you in the eye. So as he, as Travis looked at the friend, he noticed that he had a bruised face and black eye. And when he asked him about it, the friend said nothing happened. But later that day, Tim asked Travis if the boy apologized and Travis said he did. And Tim said, yeah, I handled it for you. Yeah. Told you I was going to handle it. Yeah. So as they got older, Tim began to burgle local houses and Travis knew about it. Tim would break into neighbors' houses or steal things from local stores. And one day Travis got caught stealing and he was brought home by the police. His mom sent him to his room, but Travis was so excited to talk to Tim about it so we could tell him that he stole stuff too because in his mind, it was a way for them to bond. Mm-hmm. He thought he'd when, be proud of him. Yeah, exactly. He was like, look, I'm doing it too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing just what you're doing. But when Tim found out, he looked at Travis with disgust and he told him that he couldn't do the same things that he was doing. And he told him, play sports, focus on that. And he was like, anything else would hurt their mom and leave her crying. And Travis said, looking back on that, that moment changed his entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he like threw his entire life into basketball. Absolutely. And I mean, he could have very easily gone down the same path. Yes. I don't think that it would have been the same because they're not cut from the same cloth. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. I don't think that Travis had it in him to go on to do something like no. this, but he could have been a career criminal. Mm-hmm. And he... He said that Tim was like, you You just, you know, promise me you'll always do the right thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, he would tell him, do the right thing. And then when he would get arrested for breaking in somewhere, stealing something or whatever, he'd call Travis from the detention center and be like, hey, man, um, hey, but do you remember I was home with you that night, right? Or, or Right. He's like telling him to have morals, but then also lie. Yeah. And, and Travis is like, 
uh-uh, I'm not, you want me to get in trouble too? Like there was one time he had stolen this like very expensive pair of sunglasses. Like oh, a couple thousand dollars. Yeah, they had actual diamonds in them. And he was like, hey, um, they've got a search warrant. They're coming to the house right now. I need you to go hide those sunglasses. I don't care where you put them. I don't care if you put them in the garbage. I don't care where you put them, but get rid of them. And he's like, hang on. So you want me to get in trouble too? Because this call is recorded, you dumb fuck, okay? Mm-hmm. I know it's recorded. I don't know why you don't know it's recorded. You've been in there a hundred times already, but I'm not lying. Like, right. And then he said, like, before he even got off the phone, the police were like banging on the door. And he goes up to them and is like, I know where the sunglasses are, like, immediately. Yeah. He's just like, why would you want to get me in the same amount of trouble, dude? Exactly. And so, like a lot of criminals do, the way that Timothy learned from that experience was don't bring your shit into the house. Exactly. Not, okay, I need to stop doing this. It isn't, it isn't healthy. It's not helping me. It's not serving me in any way, shape or form. Um, also it's wrong. It's how do I hide it better? Like Israel keys when he let that first Mm -hmm. girl go. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I have to look over my shoulder wondering if she's going to identify me. I have to kill everybody that I rape from now on. Right. Or I just can't do stuff in front of other people. I mean, Timothy displayed a lot of signs of, I mean, especially the hurting animals. Oh, yeah. You know, there was a there time. Was, oh, go ahead. Yeah, there was a time that. Talk about the gerbil. No, you tell him about the gerbil. I was going to talk about the cat. Okay. They, you know, Travis said he would always ask Tim, can I come with you today? Like, whatever you're doing, I'm going to come with you. And usually Tim would be like, no, dude, you're little. Like, get out of here. Because they were 10 years apart. And, um. He was like, but I would still ask him every day. Like, can I please come hang out with you? (laughs) And one day he was like, sure. So they like went into the woods with some friends. They found a cat, put it in a pillowcase. They're throwing rocks at it. He got uncomfortable with the situation and he left. And then later he found out that Tim had set the pillowcase on fire with the cat inside. It makes me sick to my stomach, honestly. Yeah. There was a family member, I think. It was a family Mm -hmm. member, right? About Mm -hmm. how to gerbil. And... Timothy got super mad at this family member. So he takes the gerbil and he sticks push pins through its eyes, through its nose, through its head, through its ears. Like that poor gerbil. I know. And Travis was like, the thought of him holding this gerbil while it's struggling and making noises and he's just doing it with no regard at all. Yeah. He's like, he had, he had no empathy button. He had no, mm-hmm. no nothing that would make him feel something for another living thing. There was just nothing there. I don't get it because I used to save all of the snails after it would rain. mm -hmm. Like, don't step on them. And I'm like, you know, picking them up and moving them over. I even have picked up worms with my bare hands to get them off the sidewalk so that they can like get into the grass. And like, I don't touch bugs, (laughs) but it makes me really sad. And like, if I do kill a bug in my house, I feel bad about it. I kind of like say a little prayer. I'm like, I'm very sorry that I took I hope that your family is okay. I'm sorry, dude. Except for sometimes spiders, but I won't get into it. (laughs) Any excuse to talk about spiders? But anyway, okay, okay, okay. So, but also though, this is very interesting because the way that all of these women were tied up, you know, and of course Travis isn't going to find this out until years later. Tim would practice tying Travis up like this in the house, and what he would do. This is terrifying. Travis would be like, you know, I think I'm home alone. He's in like middle school. Mm -hmm. At this point, he's like, I think I'm home alone. I, you know, I get home from school or whatever and I start hearing noises. And then all of a sudden Tim would like jump out of a room or something 
and he would, you know, scare me. Like, and sometimes he had a knife. Yeah. And, and, and he would, he would be like, I'm just playing with you or whatever. And he's like, I told him like, don't scare me. Like, you can't be scaring me like that. Well, then one time he jumps out of the bathroom because Travis started at this point. He, every time he gets home, he goes and checks every single room in the house to see if Tim is just waiting to jump out at him. Cause he's just like, Do I need to get it over with. Who that reminds me of Russell Williams. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. he'd wait for hours. Mm-hmm. Like, so and the semen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. Semen everywhere. So he goes around the house. He's opening all the doors to be like, okay, Tim, if you're here, like, just let's fucking get it over with. I don't want to deal with this. Right. It's like a jack in the box. Like, yes. when is he going to pop out? Yes. It's so scary. Like, the tension ratchets up. So he opens the bathroom door. Tim jumps out of it. I think he has a knife. I forget. He hog ties Travis. He pushes him on the mm-hmm. bed, hog ties Travis, puts a sock in his mouth, and pushes him in the closet and leaves him there for it. Said t- Travis said it took him four hours. It took him four hours to untie himself. And he said he was having trouble breathing. He has a sock in his mouth and he's hogtied. So he would try to arch his back in such a way that he could get a good breath. And mm. after that, he was like, I could have died in there. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm just playing around. Like, you were scared though, weren't you? And he's like, uh, fuck, yes, I was scared. Like, but he just laughed. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, you could have killed me. And he's like, eh, don't be such a crybaby, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And then later when they read all these news reports, he's like, oh my God, these women were tied up the exact same way I was. Mm-hmm. And he and he gets so emotional about it. And he's like, the only difference is I'm still here to talk about it. Oh, and it is God. so awful. And the guilt that has to be weighing on survivors. I mean, thank God in heaven that he survived it. Mm-hmm. But you got to feel for him for thinking, you know, for for feeling guilty for yeah. being like, but I can talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, that just breaks my heart. Yeah. I wonder if their mom knew about this behavior, what he was doing to Travis. I mean, she worked a lot. So uh-huh. obviously she wasn't home, but I do wonder if Travis told her. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what she could have done because if if you're thinking about, okay, well, I found out that my son is is displaying some very, very disturbing behavior. Taking a child to a psychiatrist is very expensive. Well, and it only works if the child is willing. Right. You can't, because you can, it's like, can't you can bring a horse to water, right? Like mm-hmm. you could try all day long to bring Timothy to a psychiatrist, even if you could afford it. Mm-hmm. You could bring him all day long. He'll just sit there stone face probably. Yeah. He ain't going to talk. Exactly. Yeah, so it's like, you know, what do you do in a situation like that? Mm-hmm. It's very upsetting. Yeah. Especially if you don't know what to look for, you know? Oh, absolutely. But Terrell, why don't you bring us to the arrest, trials, and the sentence? Okay, so back in 1987, investigators in Arlington and Richmond started to work together. They've made the connection between the 1984 murder of Carolyn Ham and the 1987 murders. They did some investigation into Tim Spencer and discovered that he had recently been released from serving time in prison for burglary. He had been arrested in 1984 after Carolyn Ham's murder. He was on parole and living in a halfway house in Richmond, Virginia. When they dug deeper, they discovered that when he was in the halfway house, he was required to sign out when he came and went from the facility. When they checked the dates he signed out, he was out when every single murder occurred. And around Thanksgiving, he had requested a furlough to go to Arlington to visit his mom. And remember, that's when Susan Tucker was killed. Mm-hmm. With Spencer as their suspect, they looked into his past. When he was younger, he'd break into homes and vandalize them. As he got older, he started to steal things. And 
you know, as he continued on, he started breaking into women's homes and assaulting them. With the evidence they had, they started to monitor Tim Spencer and eventually took him into custody at the halfway house he lived in. They took him to the station and interviewed him for 12 hours. Detective Williams said that he never... Which one? I don't know. He never broke or bit on anything. He just said, I don't know what you're talking about. Detectives began to wonder if they had the right guy, but deep down, they all believed he was the one. So while they had him, they took DNA samples to test against the semen found at the crime scenes. Now, this was when DNA testing took weeks to get back, sometimes longer. So they just all waited with bated breath on the results. But when they came back, it matched. It was a match to the crime scene in Arlington and two of the three in Richmond. From there, exactly. From there, it turned from who was it to how can we convince a jury? Between July 1988 and June of 1989, Spencer faced trial for the rape and murders of Susan Tucker, Debbie Davis, Susan Hellams, and Diane Cho. Using DNA evidence, he was found guilty of the murders of Tucker, Davis, and Hellams. In the case of Diane Cho, the DNA evidence was inconclusive, but he was found guilty and convicted of her murder as well. The DNA evidence also linked him to the murder of Carolyn Hamm in 1984, for which David Vasquez was serving a 35-year sentence. Although the standard of the DNA evidence had degraded to the point it was deemed inconclusive, FBI investigators were confident that Spencer was the perpetrator. On January 4th, 1989, Vasquez was granted an unconditional pardon after serving five years. Having already been sentenced to death for the four capital murders, Spencer wasn't charged for Carolyn Ham's murder. And you know what? Thank God that they exonerated or let him go, gave him an unconditional pardon. Because if they didn't even try Spencer for Carolyn Ham's murder, yeah. They could have very easily been like, we are not, we're not admitting this mistake. Absolutely. We've seen cases where when something like this happens, they say, well, they did it together. Mm-hmm. I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't have any evidence mm-hmm. that they knew each other, but they did it together. Fine. They were both there. I just, I'm so glad that they were like, that was a whoops. Uh-huh. Yeah. On our part. So. Spencer's lawyers filed motions to appeal the murders of Susan Tucker, Debbie Davis, and Susan Hellums based on the basis that this newfangled DNA evidence technology wasn't sound. Sounds like a crock of shit to us. We don't believe it. That's what they said. <laughs> Bring us actual evidence, okay? Exactly. I'm sorry. Do you not have a hair that you can just look at and look at another hair and be like close enough? Because that's that's what we trust here. <laughs> Do you not have a red trilobal fiber? Yeah, you know those red trilobal fibers. They're they're sound. I know they are. That's what I'm saying. The U.S. Court of Appeal confirmed the judgments and Spencer's death sentences were upheld. On April 27th, 1994, in Jarrett, Virginia, Timothy Wilson Spencer was put to death in the electric chair at Greensville Correctional Center. He declined to give a final statement. He was pronounced dead at 11.13 p.m. Eastern. When he was pronounced dead, there were activists outside the prison. Some were there to protest the death penalty and others were there in favor. While some sang Amazing Grace, others chanted, kill the bitch, referring to Spencer. Can we grow up? No, because that had to have been so hard if his mom was there. She was there. Yeah. Was, well, I mean, like outside at the time. Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because again, like that is one really interesting thing about the Evil Lives Here show is that mm-hmm. you do get the perspective from the family. And this is somebody who grew up in a loving family. Mm-hmm. And I cannot imagine the pain that you would feel as a sibling or as a mother of somebody who's gone on to do these horrible things, but to also know that they're going to be electrocuted to death. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, Travis talked about when his mother found out. Oh my gosh. Because she had a newspaper. I, That's how she found out. I cried so hard. And like, while she was there, like, they let them have one last hug on the day of his execution. And so like, Travis hugged him. And when his mom held on to him, she like, he said they had to pry her off of him. And she kept saying, if I let my baby go, they're going to kill him. I know. And he describes the... That guttural... Yes! Scream that like, you only hear from mothers... When they that know lost their child. Their child. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, ju- it's, you know, did he commit these things? He did. But I do. Does he deserve to be punished? Yes. But I do feel for his family because this is a loss for them too. And, you know, they put, they put on themselves, like Travis said right before the execution, he said, could I have done something differently to make this not have happened? Like he put some of this on himself. I should have done mm-hmm. something so that these women weren't killed. And Travis just said no, or Tim just said no. Mm-hmm. But it's awful. It's just, it is. it's awful for all, you know, parties involved. Again, it's that ripple effect. There are more victims, you know. Than just the victims that we have talked about. Like, yeah, like, you know, their families, everybody. their friends, their, you know, there's just so many people that are affected by the loss of these women. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Yeah. The... Stupid semen strangler was notable in the world of DNA testing because Timothy Spencer was the first serial killer to be convicted on the basis of DNA evidence. David Vasquez was the first man to be exonerated using exculpatory DNA evidence. Again, how have we not heard of this? That's what I'm saying. I'm shaking my head. I know. After his release, Vasquez and his family and friends had a welcome home party, and one family friend said, quote, the homecoming was amazing. David had no ill feelings. He carried no grudges. I remember him saying repeatedly, they just made a mistake. What a precious angel from heaven. I know. Like, absolutely precious. Because I would be mad as fucking hell. <laughs> I don't... You know what kind of grudge holder I am. Exactly. I would never financially recover from that. No. 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 I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 35 years and you only serve five. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Because it could be... I mean, it's a horrible, the whole thing. but it, yeah, it could yeah. be more just awful. Yeah. I hate that he lost five years, but um, thank God he got out when he did. And um, and they admitted that they had it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great police work. Yeah. And I do think overall it was great police work. Yeah. I think that it was great that they connected the cases, mm-hmm. that they really did their due diligence. They looked into Timothy's background and really dug deep to see like, okay, well, he was out. Um, he had signed out during this time. Mm-hmm. You know, like I do think that, that they did a good job. And I think that the bigger thing is people make mistakes. I completely understand that. And I, uh, we're all human, mm-hmm. but it shows so much when you can admit it and say, whoops, mm-hmm. that was our bad. Yeah. So. Exactly. Great policing. Good job. Except for everybody who convicted David Vasquez. You can go suck an egg. Well, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, let us know what you think um, about naming him. I do like stupid semen, Frankler. It's a lot of alliteration, and I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of went with Um, alliteration there. Janky, jizz, doobly. I don't know. (laughs) Shitload semen strangler. Yeah, shitload of semen strangler. That was it, Yeah. 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 Let us know. We'll do. We'll do an Instagram story. So make sure you're following us there. And um, that way you can cast your vote and we will yeah. we'll share your um, the answers. Yeah. So, 
you'll get a shout out. Yay. Yay. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We love you so much. Yep. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys, you know what the deal is. We got some shout outs to do for some of our newest patrons. What's the time? Shout out time. What's the time? Shout out time. Oh, I can't believe we've never done that before. Uh, I love it though. Yeah. Uh, let's give a Hey Girl thanks to MS Penhollow, Ashley Paulson, Alexandra Smith, Brandy Martinhoe, Caitlin Rochefort, Quinn Zepp, Vera Wolf, Brittany Blevins, Nelson Reagan, Alicia, Nadia Turley, Haley Schaefer, Denise Mendoza, Nicole Powell, Nicole Jackson, Clabrizi, Carmel, Jennifer Adams, and Jennifer was our winner for the, uh, she's getting a sweatshirt delivered to her for free because she won our giveaway. Thank you. Demi Lewis, Louise Clark. Sorry. Jennifer Smith. Salma. Amanda. Allie Cooper. Rebecca Hahn. Ellen Alvarez. Don Renee Geertsima. Pamela Boyer. Becca Lyman. Lexi M. Emily Thiessen. Brittany Rochester, Erica Edwards, Molly Mori, Katie Cheney, Sandra, Jasmine Ehrlich, Leah K. Meisinger, Olivia, Mandy Beattie, Becky B., Lucy Medina, Brittany Munn, Madison Polka, Jay Hun, Megan Path, Katie Gordon, Alex Q., Gabriella Mello, Jessica Shearer, Megan, and Tracy Locker. Thank you so much, you guys. We love you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. 
LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 